The following program is a presentation of Jazz Sports. Hello again everyone and welcome back to Two Minute Warning. We've just come off divisional week of the NFL playoffs and as such there is a lot to discuss. We'll get into the games themselves a little bit later on in the podcast but first there are some news items that uh, I'm going to cover first of all. So let's get right into the podcast and get started. We kick things off today with the news that the final team searching for a head coach, the Cleveland Browns, have found their man in Vikings offensive coordinator Kevin Stefanski. Let's kick off two minutes on the clock to discuss what that means for the dog pound. First of all, it's worth noting that uh, Stefanski was the runner-up for the job last year, but uh, the personnel in Cleveland at the time, notably John Dorsey, decided to stick with interim head coach Freddie Kitchens instead, a decision I think they have come to regret. Uh, in Minnesota, he was the offensive coordinator for only one full season after having inherited the job during the previous season. And in this 2019 season that we have just had, he was responsible for the number eight scoring offense in the NFL, which isn't too shabby, to be fair. Success for Stefanski will be all about getting the most out of Baker Mayfield, but despite the late success in the last season, he did struggle to get the best out of Kirk Cousins in Minnesota. They improved after Dalvin Cook returned from injury, so you can probably expect some heavy leaning on the likes of Nick Chubb in Cleveland. How he will handle Jarvis Landry and Odell Beckham is a big question if they do start to struggle in 2020 because he didn't do the best job appeasing Stefan Diggs and Adam Thielen who really wanted out of Minnesota for the majority of the season especially before the trade deadline something tells me that uh, Odell Beckham Jr. won't be silenced quite as easily as those guys were if nothing else, Stefanski is a much better choice than the other leading candidate, Josh McDaniels, a man who has already been a head coach in the NFL and couldn't really get anything done without wonderboy Tom Brady. And then last year, he was offered a head coaching job in Indianapolis and he accepted it before promptly changing his mind and deciding to go back to nice, comfortable, don't really have to do any work because Brady will do it for me. Speaking of the Patriots, this past weekend, wide receiver Julian Edelman was arrested in Southern California on suspicion of misdemeanor vandalism after jumping on the hood of someone's car. And, of course, I have thoughts. The details first of all, then. Uh, Edelman, who's now 33, caused unspecified damage when he jumped on the vehicle late Saturday night in a commercial block of Beverly Hills. He was released on a citation and is scheduled to appear in court on April the 13th. Now, this just continues the pattern of law-breaking within the New England Patriots organisation and then just trying to get away with it in whatever way possible. This goes right the way up to the ownership, with Robert Kraft himself denying solicitation, despite there being CCTV footage of him getting his dick sucked by a prostitute in a Florida brothel. Another example, Patrick Chung, who is uh, 
the cornerback of the Patriots, this week got away with a serious drug charge in exchange for some periodic drug drug testing and performing 40 hours of community service. Not really good enough. Huge example, and Netflix are highlighting it this week with a release of a documentary, is Aaron Hernandez, who was the starting tight end for the Patriots as he murdered Odin Lloyd, was convicted of that, and allegedly three other people. No other team in the league has this level of delinquency on the team, without the coaching staff facing consequences for it. Bill Belichick's win-at-all-costs mentality doesn't appear to be allowing for proper due diligence to take place on incoming players. It's hardly surprising then, considering this criminality, that the Patriots are allowed to get away with cheating within the NFL. They can't keep to the rules outside in society, so it stands to reason that they can't keep within the rules in the NFL. And that problem goes all the way up to the ownership. It's deplorable. With that rant out of the way, let's move on to something wholly more positive. A few weeks ago, we spoke about the opportunity that British players were getting in the CFL Combine, which is actually this current weekend. This week, the Jacksonville Jaguars announced an exciting proposition for British students looking to play tackle football, perhaps for the first time, with a full university scholarship. Let's put two minutes up and I'll give you the download direct from Jaguars UK. Here we go then, and I quote... The NFL's Jacksonville Jaguars, the only team committed to playing in London annually and official UK founding partner LGT Vestra US, have created a unique new university scholarship opportunity, the Gridiron Grant. This is a, this is a first of its kind sports scholarship programme in the UK, offering a full university tuition scholarship for two students, one female and one male, to any UK university or vocational programme of their choice. The Jacksonville Jaguars and LGT Vestra US are looking for anyone who has participated in the JAGTAG program or who has been involved in American football in their community each year and with a passion for American football to apply for the Gridiron Grants. I love that the team like the Jaguars are looking to play a bigger role in Britball in general and hopefully that will lead to them maybe providing coaching opportunities to certain teams or specific skills tuitions to university players all during the NFL offseason obviously. It's very wise of the Jaguars to provide a UK-based scholarship rather than a US-based one because it will save them around $80,000. University or college as it's called in the States tuition fees are so much cheaper in the UK. If you are lucky enough to be the person that wins, make sure you pick yourself a good football university, such as uh, Birmingham or Hertfordshire or Loughborough. As much as I love my local universities, the University of Kent and my alumni, Canterbury Christchurch, they're not necessarily affording you the best football opportunities, especially compared to the powerhouses I mentioned previously. Make your choice very wisely. And I would once again like to use this opportunity to wish the best of luck and well wishes to anybody taking part in the CFL Combine in Bristol this weekend. Go knock them dead.
Now then, let's move laterally to the XFL, our new league kicking off right after the Super Bowl. And in anticipation of that start, I'll be looking at the eight teams competing in this inaugural season over this and the next episode. Let's start out today with a look at the teams of the Western Conference. Two minutes on the clock, please. Team number one is the Dallas Renegades, who play in black, light blue and red. Their head coach is Bob Stoops, who was the Oklahoma Sooners coach for quite some time. It's been recognised as quite a coup to get a coach of Bob Stoops' calibre in the XFL. Uh, Also in the front office, they have Daryl Moose Johnson, who is a favourite son of Dallas, being that he played uh, in the Dallas Cowboys for quite a long time. Um, Notable players on the team include QB Landry Jones, although it looks like he may miss the first few weeks with an injury, and running back Cameron Artis Payne. Next up is the Houston Roughnecks, who play in red, navy and grey. Their head coach is June Jones, who is known most as the head coach of the Atlanta Falcons uh, during the 1990s. Notable players include running back Andre Williams and wide receiver Sammy Coates. Next is the Los Angeles Wildcats, who play in black, red and light orange. The LA Extreme, who was the previous LA team in the last XFL, won the first and only championship in 2001. Their head coach is former Green Bay Packers assistant coach Winston Moss. Their notable players are Josh Johnson, quarterback, and Luis Perez, also a quarterback. Next up is the Seattle Dragons. They play in navy, green, and orange. They'll play at CenturyLink Field, which is also the home of the Seattle Seahawks, so there's a bit of sharing going on there. Their head coach is Jim Zorn, who you may remember from his short-lived career as the head coach of the Washington Redskins in the 2008-2009 season. Notable players on this team are running back Jaquan Gardner, defensive tackle Will Sutton, and linebacker Steven Johnson. Got in there just in the nick of time. Next week, I'll take a look at the Eastern Conference teams, the DC Defenders, the New York Guardians, the St. Louis Battlehawks, and the Tampa Bay Vipers. Let's take ourselves back over to the NFL then, where we have two very notable retirements to discuss. The first of which is three-time Pro Bowl offensive lineman Kyle Long of my Chicago Bears. He announced on Sunday that he is retiring after seven seasons in the NFL. He was often injured and unfortunately never really got the opportunity to meet his potential. He is obviously part of a very famous football family, the son of uh, Hall of Fame defensive end Howie Long, And after being drafted, he did hit the ground running. And in the first three seasons that he was in the league, he made the Pro Bowl. So it really is an unfortunate case of the injury bug taking hold as his career progressed. And unfortunately, that has now taken him out of the game. He said in his tweet that he was stepping away and getting his body right after thanking Virginia McCaskey, the Bears owner, as well as ex-Bears coach Mark Trestman, uh, former general manager Phil Emery and current GM Ryan Pace, and obviously the fans. 
the next retirement on the surface is a bit of a shocker. Luke Keekley, the linebacker for the Carolina Panthers, announced his retirement in a video statement on Tuesday. Now, I said on the surface this was a shock, but when you look a little deeper and remember the concussions that Keekley has suffered over his career, it really doesn't come as that much of a surprise. In 2016, he had such a severe concussion in a nationally televised game that he was crying on the field and gasping for air. So, as he says, it's probably best to step away now while he still can. He joins a list of players to retire young, seemingly prematurely, such as Andrew Luck earlier this year and New England Patriots tight end Rob Gronkowski. The divisional round of the NFL playoffs were confined to the history books for this season this past weekend. Let's first of all take a look at the NFC games starting with the San Francisco 49ers and the Minnesota Vikings. Of all the divisional round games that took place this weekend this one was perhaps the most inevitable of them all and really went about as everybody expected. The San Francisco 49ers dominant defense and powerful running game really took over in this contest and very very early as well. It all really got kicked off with a touchdown pass from Jimmy Garoppolo in the opening drive, his first drive as a playoff starter which is uh, a noteworthy mention uh, and from there he pretty much just had to sit back and watch the defense and the running game took over as he did for the majority of the regular season especially in the first eight games in which the 49ers went undefeated the running game of the Minnesota Vikings never really got going they were stopped quite regularly and the returning defensive starters for the 49ers D Ford, Quan Alexander and Jaquizi Tart really made a big difference to an already strong defensive unit Richard Sherman said uh, in an interview that uh, he was fed up of people disrespecting them. Uh, all they could really do was go out and execute. So when they did that, he said that it felt good and that this was an example of what the team looked like when everybody was healthy. They will go on to the NFC Championship game and... I expect a very similar performance to be taking place in the ultimate game before the Super Bowl. The San Francisco 49ers are my pick for the Super Bowl from the NFC, so we'll see exactly how well they can perform next week in the NFC Championship game. Joining them in that championship game, will it be the Green Bay Packers or the Seattle Seahawks? Unfortunately, the answer to that question is the Green Bay Packers, who quite handedly defeated the Seattle Seahawks on Sunday. The Packers really are looking like a dangerous force to contend with in the NFC Championship game, and they have worked hard to overcome the mistakes and the errors that uh, cost them games during the regular season. Most notably, the Packers struggled on third down quite a lot during the regular season, but 
in this game they did a very good job of not reaching third down at all they pretty much just came out and executed from the get-go and didn't put themselves in those awkward situations conversely the seattle seahawks really struggled to get their running game going it's hardly a shocker considering the personnel that they had in the backfield they've been bitten very hard by the injury bug and lost their two main starters at the position the return of marshawn lynch really was about what i and some people expected and that's nothing He didn't make a big impact for the team. He got a token touchdown the week prior, but really couldn't get anything going against what has become a very, very strong Green Bay Packers defense. There were weaknesses to exploit, though. Most notably, the right-hand side of the offensive line for the Green Bay Packers looked like uh, holy cheese, to be frank. And the likes of D. Ford for the 49ers will probably make mincemeat of that weakness we'll just have to see how things go but as you will expect i will be rooting fully for the san francisco 49ers moving over to the afc side of the league then we'll kick off with the tennessee titans and the baltimore ravens And the Tennessee Titans shocked the world and got the job done with a heavy dose of Derrick Henry and some, frankly, stellar play throughout. For the first time since the 2002 season, the Tennessee Titans are heading to the AFC Championship game. They really got off to a hot start and that carried the momentum for them for the entire game the baltimore ravens that we have seen throughout the entire regular season and the playoffs pretty much just weren't there and i put that completely on the shoulders of the defensive unit for the tennessee titans they did a fantastic job of containing lamar jackson a lot of talk throughout this week has been that lamar jackson was at fault for this and I I don't necessarily agree with that I think the Tennessee Titans simply outplayed the Baltimore Ravens in that aspect the Titans were able to capitalize on errors very quickly and put seven points on the board straight away after an interception from safety Kevin Byard uh, from a fairly shaky tip pass from Lamar Jackson and Ryan Tannehill who managed to complete Uh, Half of his throws, uh, only for 88 yards, um, but for two touchdowns, uh, managed to take the score to 14-0. And really from there, the Ravens were trying to play catch-up the whole game. And that's not a position that they play well in. They haven't had to come back from huge deficits throughout the regular season. The big story for Tennessee, as always, though, was Derrick Henry, who put up 205 yards of total offense, most of those rushing, but he did get a three-yard touchdown pass as well. The final divisional weekend game then was the Houston Texans and the Kansas City Chiefs, and this one was a doozy. (laughs) Where to start? So, in the last two minutes, I mentioned how the Baltimore Ravens really struggled to recover from a deficit. Uh, That is not at all the case. 
for the Kansas City Chiefs, who managed to come back from a 14-0 lead that the Texans held for the first quarter. The final score was 51 points to the Chiefs and 31 to the Texans. And that's not really reflective of how well the Kansas City Chiefs managed to shut down the Houston Texans. A lot of those points came in garbage time while the Kansas City Chiefs were confident that they could just keep going out there and score touchdowns. The demise of the Houston Texans really came, as it has in the regular season, from their problematic offensive line. Uh, They weren't really able to keep um, Deshaun Watson clean. He was sacked five times. They forced him to squander drives. And not only did that allow the Kansas City Chiefs to come back from that early deficit, but walk away with a 20-point victory on top of that. It's going to be really interesting for this team, the Kansas City Chiefs, to go up against the Tennessee Titans, who are the Cinderella team of this year. They've already beaten the league's best defence in the New England Patriots and the league's best offence in the Baltimore Ravens. Let's sit back and enjoy as these two teams go at it Patrick Mahomes and his high-powered offense against the Tennessee Titans and their shutdown defense. I wonder what the difference maker will be, but my bet is that it'll either be Mahomes or Derek Henry. I really don't want to predict that game, if I'm honest. And so with another episode of Two Minute Warning in the books... I'm going to go and dig out as much red clothing as possible so that I can support the San Francisco 49ers against the Green Bay Packers. I have been Jeremy, and this has been Two Minute Warning. Sayonara, football fans. Sayonara.